0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man.
1: everyone, and welcome to Declarations of War, sixth annual Black Mark Award edition as we hand out the Black Marks for 2022, revealing the winners here on this show. I am your host, Alexei Epcard, joined by my fellow Noir brethren, Levitain.
0: Good day, good day, good day.
1: And Zero Cool. Hello, hello. Our special guest for this awards episode is CSM representative and Electus Matari FC, Arcea Elkin.
2: Hey, glad to be here.
1: So happy to have you back. If you missed our initial episodes, check out our CSM election content from last year. But we're really happy to have R.C. here. She has a ton of factional warfare experience, and there are some interesting things happening in faction warfare, which we'll get to a little later on in the show. Before we do, we asked our audience, will Fireco in its current form or 80 percent of its current form continue to exist till the end of the year? Overwhelming majority of our audience, 73%, is absolutely not. Now, this poll was put out mostly before the news came out that they had moved up north with a bit of a diplomatic deal with Volta. But, uh, yeah, I, I think things are not looking great for them. I think dissolution is on the horizon for Fireco. Well, we'll see how it plays out more on that later. Before we get into that, our top story, the Blackmark Awards for 2022. Our top category, FC of the Year. We have three entries, two from Brave and one from the NPSI community. First, Shattered Armor, Wolfie Alexstrasza, and from the NPSI world, Nova Valentis. Any favorites, guys?
3: Well, for me, I think um, I've never been on a fleet with the Volfeo or or Nova, um, but uh, I've been on plenty of fleets with Shattered Armor. And I think Shattered Armor is somebody who is relentless at, uh, you know, forming and docking, forming and undocking in the face of a lot of of pressure from um, various groups. And I think uh, probably throughout 2022, it's probably one of the most active FCs uh, in the game. I would have thought. I mean, given that um, you know the two big blocks were kind of kind of quiet most of the year, um, Brave had a, a lot to do. Uh, pretty much the, the, well three quarters of the year. Um, so yeah, that that would be my my pick.
0: Mm, I don't know. I've, I don't have an experience on these particular FCs. I mean, I'm always and anyone who's got who has the mindset to just don't dock and go for it. Um, in those instances, I think is is worthy of respect. But I I honestly don't have a horse in this race.
2: I'm in the same kind of boat where I, I've I've never flown with any of the mentioned FCs. Um I know Brave this year has had quite the uh quite the series of wars uh being the one of the biggest non one of the biggest null groups that's not part of one of the two major blocks um sometimes finds finds themselves in like uh a, 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 between a rock and a hard place they had a lot of uh a lot of conflict between themselves and frat and and other groups with like a bunch of neutral like fortizars and stuff anchored in their area really good for small ganging with all those neutral fortizars in brave area in brave space but um I, I feel like the brave FCs uh I haven't been on their fleets, but they 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 put in a lot of work this year, so they they, they deserve to be on a list of of awards, probably. Um,
1: yeah, Wolfie is the one that I think we've interacted with the most. He, or at least for a good portion of the year, took point on organizing all of the various neutrals slash semi neutral entities that were helping Brave with their initial stand against Fraternity. That Fraternity conflict still ongoing. Brave still standing tall now with a lot less help. Um, But in that initial push, when it looked like they were going to get displaced, there was a lot of goodwill that poured out from everywhere to try to keep them up. And Wolfie was the main guy that I saw, you know, having those conversations, sharing information, trying to get everybody on board and be supportive of the allies that were trying to support them. And it is quite fitting that Wolfie Alex Straza does in fact win FC of the year. Congratulations, Wolfie. Trophies in the mail, bro. Uh,
2: yeah, congratulations to her.
1: Uh, very, very well-deserved. Um, don't think I was ever on one of their fleets. No, I, 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 we were on one of them. I wasn't able to make a lot of the uh, Brave fight timers, but a few that I went to, they were fun. Uh, the fact that Brave is still standing, I think, is testament to why this is a very deserved reward. Moving on to Doctrine of the Year, we had three nominees for this category. Massive paladins, so just like big paladin ball, omen navy issues, and faction warfare tormentors, one of the more effective faction warfare frigates, at least in Noir's experience since
2: joining Galenteen Militia. Tormentors have been nuts since since they were changed in uh was it was it um 2012 the 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 path and ending patch in 2012 inferno was it yeah
1: they i forget what the original bonuses they were. they
2: were a mining ship when i started the game i mined in a tormentor and then um i started PvPing a couple of years after i started in 2012 and the tormentor was mm-hmm. buffed into one of the best frigates for factional warfare in in novice plexes at the time and um it's been good ever since. It's been like the sleeper hit of the uh uh T one frigate lineup since two thousand twelve. And um they're they're kind of nuts. They're really kind of nuts. They're
1: just really well balanced. They've got good damage, good tank. They're not super slow. Um they, they're yeah. relatively easy to to get into skills wise.
2: They have the drones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A non galenti ship with a bigger than five M3 drone bay. It's always
0: cool.
2: I mean uh Amar is the other the other drone race, right? So it's it's not that uncommon.
0: Yeah, the the Tormentor is just a great all round for anyone who's wanting to get into this interfaction warfare and needs a ship to start off with and think, hey, I'm gonna go out and you know, start fighting something. A tormentor is a solid first step.
2: Besides, but the um the face on the front of the tormentor is very memeable.
0: <laughs> really?
2: Have you you've never seen that meme?
0: No. Or, uh, just a sound I, I just the While again. everyone in the show is just um <laughs> is just looking at the model, seriously now. googling.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: It's a sticker. Cool.
2: Yeah, it's. It's, it's totally memeable. The front of it is a face that's smiling with this big grin.
0: Yeah, and if you want someone else that smiles, go and get an Ishtar. But yeah, this thing is lovely.
1: Well, it did get some support. Ultimately, Doctrine of the Year, the ship doctrine that defined 2022, will be forever remembered as the Mass Paladin Fleet
2: there It wasn't a competition like you you just see paladins everywhere you look, and it, it, they're they're a problem
1: yeah, the whole uh i don't I mean I guess it says a lot of stuff about Eve, not all of it great, that just like fleets full of marauders is now where we're at for apex fleet fighting It's basically yeah. um triage. Supported marauders, so it's almost impossible for them to die before reps land, and they do basically pocket dreadnought level damage.
0: I mean, cost-wise, um, it's not that unsurprising you now, given that you know most T1 battleships are in the three fifty to four fifty mil range. A faction battleship would be about six hundred. The pirate battleship between eight and, and a bill, depending on the model and the make, and then marauders they can come in about one to one point two bills. So, I think. Previous, in years gone by, there was there was a much larger price gap. I mean, before they did all the changes to the battleships, and you could pick up like you no know, battleships for under two hundred mil, and so it was like you know six times the cost. Now it's it's a lot more favourable, and, and it seems like people have just got a lot more used now, just mass producing these things. And you're right, they don't die that often.
3: I think, especially now, the, uh, the hacks have been you know debuffed. I think. At least num- in numbers, in in NullSec. you could use you know hack fleets to kind of scare off paladins if you had the numbers, but um, and the reships available. But, but now, uh, without those on the table, you know the paladins are even more. Tricky to deal with uh, unless you've got your own marauder
1: fleet. Um, Do we
0: think this is an unintended consequence? Maybe, like you know, mm. the idea here was you know, let's put it back into battleships, and then the Eve community does what the Eve community does best and just messes the hell out of it. So they thought, well, let's take the biggest tankiest ship, and yeah, it's going to be a marauder.
1: And I think what we found, in at least in high sec, there there really isn't a great counter to the marauder other than more marauders. Uh, I think that is something where I feel like the hack at least historically, would have filled that role, but they, they just can't hold a candle so the tank is so overwhelming, the tracking is too good. It's a problem. Yeah. Uh,
2: unfortunately, yeah, the, there's not a lot of answers to Marauders besides just unbelievably overwhelming numbers, more Marauders, or uh, good usage of like dreads, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, dreads still work. Anytime you can pin them down, Particularly, I mean, if they've got their module running, they're stationary.
2: And, uh, like, your Dread even, can on them. Even without it, though, like, Blap, uh, Blap Dreads are so strong right now, I think.
0: Yeah, I do wonder whether the Marauder might have to have some kind of tweaking just with the way that the balance of power has shifted. I mean, you can pick up mutants now ridiculously dirt cheap because despite the changes, I don't see a lot of people flying them still.
2: Well, the Munin, I think now, um, I think it's really good. For like small, small ganging and such, but I, I, it's not really a fleet ship in the same way it was before.
0: Which is a shame because, you know, that gives, that means both Mimitar hacks are effectively small kind of nano gang type things. I mean, Mm. the Vagabond itself is, is just been a bit in a strange position ever since it got its, you know, four mid slot shield bonus, um, shield booster bonus ship.
2: Yeah, that, that's, that's a very good point. Like, um, it, they just don't hold a candle with a lot of other uh, yeah. fleet ships for fleet performance. And it, it's sad because it, it would be interesting to have this uh, sort of ship that has the dual tank bonus that you can fit it in either armor or shield. Like, the idea is really, really cool to have a flexible uh, ship that could serve as a fleet ship because Azure uh, is this bonus, but it just quite can't cut the mustard.
1: I just fundamentally the way you rigging in Eve works like that concept works great for a low Cause you can pull out the rigs, but for a, a hack, you know, whatever you rig it is, whatever it's going to be. So that, that dual bonus really only works at the point of purchase. Yeah. You purchase it to be a shield ship or you're going to purchase it to be an armor ship.
0: Yeah, it makes sense to lean into one or the other. I mean, I I think the Vagabond needs a bit of a tweaking on the shield side of things. I mean, if you wanted to keep it as the kind of the the fast kind of hit and run type thing, I just think it needs a bit of tweaking. But yeah, I think the Munin kind of, you can stick with missiles, but against the Sacrilege, you know, it's cheaper than the Sacrilege, but it is inferior in almost every aspect aside from straight line speed. And as long as a marauder can track it, it really doesn't offer anything extra.
2: Yeah, very true.
0: And it doesn't get the utility high of the of the cycleage. I mean, it's just it it's it, it's an interesting kind of bonusly ship right now. And they obviously really ridiculously dirt cheap because no one's flying them again. Um, but I I'm not sure that uh, they have the answer, or at least they're in a position right now where I think you could realistically turn around and say, yeah, the Mimitar hacks are pretty well balanced because I don't think they are right now.
2: Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with your take.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats, Paladins.
1: Ooh, I mean, yay!
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: let's. I, I think my fervent wish for this one is... Wow, well, I mean, I guess Munin's won multiple years, but this feels like one where cannot wait for the next year's awards to have a different set of potentials it just felt very one-sided like you could have replaced paladins and vargers and maybe you would have split the audience a little bit but of the nominated groups paladins were the thing and yeah just so overwhelming 72 percent was the the vote It just blew the other two out of the water best game update i don't think this one is going to surprise anyone here your options were faction warfare rework, hack rework, or the battleship buffs. Overwhelming majority of our audience went with the faction warfare rework, and how could you blame them?
2: Yeah, um, but leading up to the CSM summit, I took a, a survey of people's opinions on on the factional warfare rework, and despite um, people having legitimate issues with some some parts of it are not, the results are overwhelmingly positive. Uh, factional Warfare has been a very neglected part of the game near and dear to a lot of people's hearts for a long time now. Um, over a- almost a decade and a half at this point. Um, it, it's getting close to a decade and a half since, since the original uh, incarnation of Factional Warfare came out. And a lot of people myself included, uh, grew up in the fires of low-security space uh, and the chaos of factional warfare. So it's really good to see it getting love and focus again um, because there's just so much potential to serve as a catalyst for engagements that just don't really happen anywhere else in the game.
3: I think it's great that um, low security space now feels more populated and alive uh, compared to when I first started playing the game and, you know, ventured out into low security space for the first time. And it was a lot of fun. And there was, you know, engaging with the faction warfare content then was, was really fun. Um, it, it felt odd as a new player because I didn't really understand what was going on uh, as a neutral sort of or pirate or whatever um, out in uh action warfare space, shooting people that were sitting in these plexes. Uh, but I think now um, with, with you know, the, the text you have on the screen in the different areas and um, the, just the, the, the population, um, you know, you go into an area and there's, say, 20 people in local. Oh, wow, there, there must be something happening here, you know. Um, and, and there's people, you know, talking in local to each other. It, it makes it feel much more alive. And I think for new players now, um, it just makes that area of space more approachable um, and more interesting to, to, and and it's really, really accessible, isn't it?
2: And um, I, I think the part that makes it most exciting is that uh, there's a lot of room to build upon the updates that that have happened. Um, like even back when they first announced it at FanFest, uh, we had we had some pictures of some other features that come like the individual enlistment um, allegiance system where you can enlist without leaving your group, uh, which I think when it does eventually come, uh, is going to be a gigantic boon to ensuring even more activity within the war zone. Yeah, I
1: can't really see it being a negative thing other than maybe getting a little swingy as one side could surge in population suddenly, but really not much stopping that from happening now either. I think the biggest drawback systematically for faction warfare is there's not much reason to hold like a specific number of systems other than if it's a system you want to be able to dock in.
2: Yeah, but it's a that's a hard thing to address I think because in the prior system they had the tier system to try to encourage sides owning more of the war zone, and it turned into the farmers zone everything and manipulate it, right? Like, so I agree that there should be some additional reason to try to hold more of the war zone, but they have to be really careful about how they do it, because we don't want the farmers that don't interact with the PvP ecosystem uh, being the ones to control everything, again, like it was during the tier system days.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. I think it's got to be some kind of zero-sum resource where yeah. it's groups trying to control a bigger portion of the same amount of the thing. I think the issue with tiers is you could like pump up one side of it and then make an artificial shortage essentially by pumping yeah. up the other side and then go back and forth manipulating the market like that. And, and I definitely agree that was a negative for the future. And also
2: just the the incentive to join the winning side is kind of what, right? Like he, he, the incentive should be towards balancing the two sides, I think, but um, that's neither here nor there. Uh,
0: I'm like, sure Aurora will figure out something. Yeah, I think I agree with what you just said there. I think right now there's there's as you say, I think we're currently seeing on the Caldari side of things in Gal uh, Galente. They've always had a numerical advantage, and it almost seems like you know, almost like, almost like a dynamic bounty type of thing on here, whereby you know the side that is you know, really kind of underpowered or lone man, there's actually a reason to go and fight for them, you know, better bonuses or some other kind of boon.
3: Yeah, it feels like there's a slight advantage to joining the, the, the side with the least systems in that you have to travel less distance to get to the front lines, which um, is, is a, you know, a reasonably good thing if, you, if you're trying to, you know, make money out of faction warfare or you haven't got a lot of time. Um, just
1: strategically, think, there's you want to have as few front lines as possible because there's no advantage to having more.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't see how like it's a major major downside to having like a fewer amount of systems for a given group, you know. So I, I think so far it feels okay. I just don't know what's going to happen as time goes on.
2: I mean, I think the critical thing is that they do continue to build on the foundation they've laid and continue to do so in a way that encourages conflict um one of the the changes that was made shortly after uprising um was the nerf to the battleground sites that uh, a lot of people feel uh led to fewer uh significant fleet engagements in the battlegrounds uh because they just weren't worth the the cost as much hmm so I, I just, I, I think the number one priority should be encouraging ships to explode, right? And people to have fun uh, exploding them.
1: It's usually a good power combo.
3: <laughs> I'd have to agree. I think, I think it's a shame that, um, you know, easy money, if you want to call it that, because it's not, is it? I mean, you know, you have to form a fleet and you have to fight off the other side. It's not easy money, but that concept of easy isk, is, is seen as such a bad thing when when really if, if people are spending that, that ISK to, to 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 blow it up then um it's not really a major problem uh and there are plenty of of ways to make a lot of isk per hour in the game that don't involve engaging with other people so I just don't see the harm in, in it being generous in in the isk and the LP payouts then.
2: And like the thing is everybody seems to think that the way everybody else makes isk is the easy way and the way they make isk is the serious way, right? Like yeah. a lot of people who just frame factional warfare as easy isk are probably remembering the, um, the days long ago when multi-boxed mission runners were the ones breaking in the big LP, right? Um, especially when the glamor X was active and people were, were coming away with uh, 20 million LP from their militia in like, uh, a couple sessions, right? That, that, was, that, was, that was the dark times of printing money, but um, I think uh, right now it's not so bad. Um, there, there, there may be some tweaks that could be made, but it, it, I think it's uh, as generally as generous as it needs to be and not, not too generous, especially considering, like you said, there's a lot of activities in the game that, that print money that don't even interact with people.
1: Well, let's bring this into Dev of the Year. Um, despite having a best feature category, the best feature and the Dev of the Year are rarely overlapping. Uh, this year, particularly competitive, we had CCP Aurora, CCP Swift, and CCP Zealous.
0: Who were your I love favorites here?
2: I love all three. I-, I think Aurora has done fantastic work uh, in basically everything she's touched this year from factional warfare updates to literally everything she communicates with the community she's good-natured she listens to to what people say and thinks about it as a as um opposed to not giving the consideration to the players. she has experience in the game herself uh ccp swift i've known for a long time uh, elise randolph i've been friends with since 2016 or so. Um, been in a lot of fleets, fleets with him before he became a dev. Uh, he's one of the shining beacons of joy on the community team. Uh, friendly to al- almost everybody, even when maybe some people aren't so friendly to uh, him. Um, and he's just a joy to be around. And Cease Be Zealous is pretty much in the same boat. Uh, he has uh, interacted with the RP community in the past, and is familiar with a lot of the old uh, storyline stuff that that I am familiar with. Um, so I definitely uh, appreciate him for being aware of a community that I think is vastly under underrepresented in a lot of Eve discourse. Um, you, you couldn't pick three three better better devs to be on this on this list. This
0: is something I have, again, I feel like I have very little information on this one here. So I I think we just heard a really good example there of of three really kind of deserving uh, entries on this list itself. I'm interested to see who's got it.
1: Well, by a remarkably slight margin, CCP Aurora quite deservedly wins Dev of the Year.
2: Yeah, I, I think with how well received the factional warfare update is she uh very deservingly won um i love all three uh, but um the aurora was behind the uh not not alone obviously she has has like people helping her but she was uh the one who spearheaded the the big update and people like the big update so makes sense
1: Without putting too much exaggeration on it, this was a make or break update for Eve. If it didn't deliver, quite possibly would have been the end of the game as we know it in terms of player population and the key figures that kind of keep our community going, finally deciding that enough was enough.
2: She had a lot
1: on her shoulders.
2: It was looking bad.
1: Yeah. So I will give her the credit for essentially saving the company. (laughs) Not solely her, but she led the team, and she was the face of it. And, wow, we are in a place I never thought we would be this time last year. So, cheers to her. Now, on the community side of things... Oh, excuse me. Uh, we have the Shuttle Thron Award. I don't think we talked about that yet. That is the, our biggest fail of the year award. Fireco nominated twice. <laughs> uh, once for their... just evacuation of their space in general and another specifically for their super capital move ops the third nominee our own (laughs) failed POS defense for snuff in Halinin which was yeah not our finest hour Uh, helped that our POS killed half of our fleet (laughs) with its aggression settings Uh, but thankfully we were up against some pretty good competition so fire versus fire it's like the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other the move ops took it and it wasn't that close.
2: <laughs> that So they like brought in a bunch of titans, like with 20 Sinos and local. Uh, is that the one we're talking about? And oh. they all died. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I wish that was like the only one, but there were two or three instances of something like that happening. Just, I mean, had to move their super caps through shark infested waters and took no precautions whatsoever.
0: It's like but every shark in every shark on that side of the map was after them. Every shark knew they were going. Every shark knew that they would go at that point.
3: There was one group that was so successful at killing the supers that uh, somebody who I won't name said um said to me, "Do you think do you think that group is getting bored of killing supers right now?"
1: <laughs> it's never the phrase you want to hear. Community Hero. This is the category for people in our Eve community that give back either to the community itself or out here in the real world. We had three nominees once again. Hyper Viper, the Eve Vegas organizer who's retired from doing that this this year. Judge Sam, notable for a massive amount of charity donations. And Mike Azariah, who has, ever since I've known him, which has been was the first time you ran for csm like a decade ago uh, as one of the most active and selfless new player support people in the entire game and one of the best csms and generally best people I think that we 've ever had in the game
2: I served uh my half term of c s m sixteen with Mike um, and he also uh, flew with us a little bit when we had the invasions. He was on the Edencom side with me. Um and he's a nice guy. Uh really, really cares about new players, focuses on new players and sometimes that's an incredibly important but thankless job. And it's it's great to have him around to do that.
1: I was happy I finally got to meet Hyper Viper at the previous e Vegas. Uh not this past one, the one before that. Um I'd heard a lot about him, never had the chance to meet him in person. It was great that I got to before he stepped down from organizing. Our winner, by a landslide, 65.5%, Mike Azariah. Congratulations once again, Mike. A uh, frequent appearance in the community hero category.
2: Yeah, people appreciate people who take care of the new pals, right? And That
1: is how our community grows. I have no idea how many E players are still playing, Directly because of Mike, but it's got to be triple digits by now. A category he has also appeared for, but has not actually won. At least I don't think he has. Best CSM representative. It was down to the wire. I think this category had been tied for several days. And just yesterday, I think we got one or two votes to break it. Nominees, Brisk Rubal, Angry Mustache, and Jinx to Care.
3: So nah, i like thinking that uh, if, if Brisk doesn't win this, then th- this is one of the uh, very few black mark awards of recent years where Brisk hasn't won something.
1: Yeah. Uh, not, uh, he has come safe. away either with Best CSM Rep or Best Guest or both multiple years in a row. Mm.
2: I, I played the sixth on... Uh... Answering, <laughs> I don't, don't want to. I don't want two of them to to be glaring at me at the meetings.
1: Well, let's put it like this, Ursia. If if your top choice didn't get it, who would you like to see the award go to? It's <laughs> not your head if it was brisk. Oh, oh interesting.
2: Okay. I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> All three of them support my push for cat ears. So.
1: Well, I know who supports it the most,
2: probably, is <laughs> Brisk. Well, I'm the one who wore the cat ears uh, for most of the summit. it, so.
1: <laughs> Labor Zero, any predictions?
0: Um, again, no particular predictions on this.
3: I- I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I think Brisk is going to win again.
1: With a plurality of votes, 50% even. Brisk Rubal narrowly edges out Jinx to Care at 46.2% to take the win. And I I have kind of just decided, I haven't even told him about this yet, he's going to hear about it when he listens to this episode, that we're just going to rename the Best CSM Representative Award to the Brisk Rubal Award (laughs) for Best CSM Representative, because I feel like at this point he's earned it.
3: Definitely worth having a Brisk Rubal Award in the Black Mark Awards.
1: Yeah. Now, this is interesting because Brisk not actually nominated for this category, and he normally is, Declarations of War Best Guest. We had a really interesting slate of entries here. CCP Swift, we had on very early in the year. Wolfie who we had sort of, I think, a middle of the year. And Rick's Javix, who we had just recently. Rick's is one of our last episodes of 2022, but made quite an impression on people. I had a lot of positive feedback about that app.
3: Yeah, it was really interesting to hear um, the perspective of somebody who, you know, has been doing what Rick's has been doing for the last many years with the art and um and sort of turning it into something more. And, um you know, those connections with CCP to make it a bit more, I don't know, slash official. I don't know. Um, just really interesting to listen to. Um, obviously somebody who actively plays the game as well in low sec and, uh, runs a corp and, and, you know, um, just, it's just a good story, uh, to he- listen to.
2: And they run that, um, that big brawl of, of, with all the free frigates that they give away, um, every so often. Is it yearly? I think.
1: Yeah. I think it's annual. Very mm-hmm. good free for all.
2: Yeah. Um, beacon of the community, uh, nice guy, um, great art as you said i follow him on twitter and i just like seeing the pictures that pop up when he uh posts them um ricks, ricks is a great guy um and as i said before ccp swift is also somebody who's been a friend for a long time uh and it's just a joy to be around um and wolfie I've, I've never flown with her but um she's i've had some brief interactions and she seems really nice so uh all three deserving, probably.
0: Well, Rick's, Ricks was a good good laugh on, on the show, and I do like a good bit of art on there. That
1: would have been your pick, Lave?
0: I think it would have been, but again, I could be wrong.
1: Zero was your best guest for the year. Personal opinion Rick's. He came close, he came very close. But the declarations of war best guest for 2022, CCP Swift. I think it's think- the first time a dev has won Best Guest.
0: I don't think I was there for that particular episode. Sure, I missed it. It is,
2: it is hard to compete with just how personable, friendly, and joyful uh, CCP Swift is to be around. So it's not, it's not surprising. He is, is charismatic and um, just super friendly and upbeat. It's, it's, it's a nice change of pace because a lot of people are doom and gloom in the EVE community.
1: If you want to go back and listen to it, audience, it was episode 229, January 18, 22. The very one of the very first episodes of the year. I think it might have been the first episode of the year. That- uh, Swift and Rattati joined.
3: Us. Yeah, I was going to say Rattati. Yeah, I remember them.
1: It, it was a big one. Um, we talked about scarcity. We talked about the breaches of player trust and how they maintain that. I think it's an interesting contrast to where we are now in terms of the overall morale of the community at this point in time last year, where things were not looking great. We had the Doctor Who event and people were upset about that getting resource. Um, We had the CEO of the company talking about how he was going to incorporate NFTs and blockchain and uh, play to earn features and how that was going to factor into EVE development. There's a lot of stuff going on at that time. (laughs) <laughs> the poll was uh, Has this interview changed how you see CCP Rattati? 140 people voted that they saw him less
2: favorably. Oh no. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Just to give you an idea of how the tone of that episode went. So I was uh, surprised to see Swift nominated as much as he was. And I was definitely surprised at the amount of support that he got in that context. And because it was so early in the year. But I think that just speaks to how personable he is and uh, how authentic he is when he comes on to these EVE Media appearances. And hopefully we'll get him back again this year. And now for some Noir-specific stuff. The Noir Most Valuable Player. Our nominees were Ikeo58, Akbad Papat, and Viz Talvanen. Obviously, this is a very personal subject. Lave and Zero. These are your comrades in arms, but who would have been your picks out of that bunch?
3: I or think, did you even vote? Did, well, uh, for me, for yeah, I, I, I voted. I, I nominated one of these. I, I think, um, I, I think that those are the three people that come to mind. If you were going to put them, you know, it, you've got uh, different things going on here. Haven't you? You've got, you've got Viz with um, relentless, um, positive killboard activity and uh, excellent use of um, graphs. And statistics you've got ICAO able to sort of keep EUTC alive um in the face of any challenge and then you've got ACBAD's ability to um just keep us involved in the tournament scene like 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 nobody's business and I think you know those are three things that um for me you know just keep everything going um you know when I first joined and I saw graphs, I was just so impressed yeah
0: yeah, I'll admit that I didn't vote on this one. Um, partly just out of, you know, kinda of neutrality itself. I don't want to kinda of cast on I think I, all three characters people have been mentioned there, um, Zero's very eloquently put it, bring different things to the table. They bring different strengths. Um I know Akbar has been relentless. I think I would probably say personally a little bit too relentless. He really has focused on the tournament scene a little bit too much, I think. Um, but I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um so if I was going to lean anyway, that's possibly the direction I might lean in now that I've been put on the spot. But I think all three characters are worthy of the award.
1: Yeah, this is a hard one for me to vote in because I I do think all three of them are absolutely indispensable. Um, Akiyo and, and Robert, really, they've made such a good director team over the past couple months. Um just done fabulous with the EUTC at one point for a significant chunk of the year, it was our most active, strongest time zone in the corp. Um, Akbad can't imagine us running our tournament program without him and, and yourself, Leif, to be fair, but he has just put so much work in preparing everything ahead of time, working with scrim partners, uh, just dealing with all the behind the scenes stuff that goes into putting a team together And on top of that, he's also been a regular multiboxer in the USTZ, helping us execute a lot of contracts that would have been a real uphill climb if they would have been feasible at all without his math, without his multiboxing, without his command presence. And Viz uh, it's like one of the most active, hardworking frontline pilots we have. Does incredible work on intelligence and graphs and data in the back end but is very much at the same time a, an invaluable in-fleet presence as well. Killing, scouting, tackling, etc. So, yeah, this is a hard one to pick, but the audience has voted with 45.8% of the vote. Akbad Papat! Congratulations, mate. Very well done. Uh, the rest of the vote sp- split pretty evenly between Viz and Ikeo. I think Viz has a slight edge there, but um, Akbad did, did extremely well and with all of his work in the tournaments in addition to his FCing, in addition to his work on some of our bigger wormhole contracts I'm not wholly surprised at this outcome and of course we have the most valuable players, but we also take time to recognize our new members the final Black Mark Award for Noir Rookie of the Year we had Anulia Amantaria Frito11 and Zia Marsahiba. This was a really interesting category. Zia, fresh in, recruited a ton of people. He's just such an evangelist for Noir ever since he's been here. Uh, Frito, I started my EVE career with Frito. We we shared our first corpse together in the Royal Guard. He's been a friend for a long time. Lost track of him. I think he quit for a while. Finally found him again during the Faction Warfare re- rework. Convinced him to come in. And it's like he's been here for years. He's very comfortable, very uh, skilled pilot, willing to FC, great attitude, uh, pretty much everything you could want out of somebody. And Anulia has kind of been that for the European times in as well, particularly stepping up to Fleet Command. He's been one of our more active EUTC Fleet Commanders since he's been here, particularly for the Faction Warfare fighting. Zero, what's your pick?
3: Well... I'm not going to pick one over anybody um, because all three, again, like the other category, they all bring something different. Um, And, and, you know, Zia and Anulia have been FCN since I've returned and um, one in EU, TZ, one more in US, TZ. And Frito's been doing the tournament practice with us. So, you know, I I can't really sort of fault them for their involvement in, in the game and in the corp and how valuable all of that stuff is. Um, so I'm not going to pick one, but, um, you know, each has, has left an impression on me. Um, and you know, it would be hard to imagine going forward without any of the, any of those three. So, you know, considering they're all classed in the rookie category, that says a lot, I think.
1: Yeah. Pretty huge impact for people in their first year. All three of them. Lave, what would your pick be?
0: um again one of those ones where i didn't really vote i didn't vote on this one but i think all three of them have brought different things to the corporation uh and and really kind of just uh, been great characters for the cause right now and there are more people i could even put on that list itself you know we've had some great recruits over the last seven, seven months especially when coming into faction warfare it really has been a good content driver um i think Again, put on the spot. I'd probably look at those who have helped us draw even more. So I'd always look at those who've um, helped us to kind of recruit and go on and and go forwards. Uh, with maybe kind of no, putting it just a in on nose in front of the rest of them. Um, but honestly, all three again worthy of the accolade.
1: Tough to pick a winner here. But luckily, our audience does it for us with nearly sixty percent of the vote. Zia Marsehiva. Congratulations, Zia, rookie of the year. Uh I I assume a vast majority of those votes are people that he's personally recruited into the corp. <laughs> 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 that's that's his strategy for winning the black mark awards, just recruit himself a loyal voting block.
0: Quick, we need to give him something else to stay now.
2: That's a valid strategy.
1: It's, I mean, it's genius if you think about it. But no. Uh much appreciated. He's brought in a lot of uh, a lot of really key players into the corps since Faction Warfare. And yeah, we are off to the races for 2023. We've got a major expansion of our alliance going on, and we've experienced a lot of growing pains. But there are good lessons to learn, and I think uh, morale-wise, pretty high. Things are moving in the right direction. And we might as well hop in and talk about that as we move on to our next segment. It's going to be non-Black Mark Award stuff, Uh, in particular, the Tissue War. So when we last talked about it on the show, I forget exactly where we were at, but I think we had just reinforced their war headquarters. Yeah, that didn't really go well.
0: (laughs) Again. Yeah. Uh, I
1: mean,
2: that fight, um, we lost the fight. We lost the objective. We lost the isk, But both sides bled enough that I, I really couldn't walk away from that feeling bad.
0: Yeah, we didn't. I think this fight, I and mean, compared, to, I've, I've I've been a bystander at both. Actually, no, forget that. I was a bystander at the first fight. The second fight, I burned lots of points with the misses to be there in in deep, deep, deep USTZ, and yeah, both sides bled.
1: It's been a pretty bloody war in general. I've never seen a high sec war like this. Uh, I think the tally is forty to forty-one. Bill killed by tissue of which we have returned 35-36, something like that, which is just bonkers for high sec.
2: I mean but the thing is this is the type of quote unquote high sec war that um spills out pretty much everywhere and is what what how how should I phrase this? Um wars like this that happen for dynamic reasons that aren't just war deck group picking on small group tend to lead to the best and bloodiest uh wars because this is like an inter galante militia conflict that has has led into two distinct sides and they're they're fighting not just because war deck group looking for kills um this is two groups that normally fight who are fighting for a reason and that leads to the best (laughs) the best and bloodiest conflicts
0: I'd, I'd somewhat take a little bit of a question on that one because I think it's been very clear think, since Tissue joined that they're not actually here to fight for galmo Like they're they're in their activity on the war zone for plexing is near to non-existent. In the last fight we saw, they were bringing their I, it It's I think yeah, I think mean, certainly the fights that draw the most are you know two PvP experience alliances itself kind of. Going head to head, and they will produce some big fights. Um, but I think I think it's quite clear that this group is is just in here as a content thing. And I, I just I I think it's a bit strange that you know that the the mechanic allows such a such a situation that you can all kind of be in this one court, but then you can all this one alliance, but then you can all you can deck each other between. For me, I'd, I'd have it that if the if you've got two alliances in faction warfare and one deck's another, the aggressor gets kicked out of faction warfare, they can still do the war. But I don't see why Galenti Militia should kind of tolerate that, if you know what I mean, from a low point.
1: It's an interesting one. It's really a Galenti civil war only, only by strict definition. They joined Galenti Militia so they could do these war decks.
2: I guess and, I'm and just have
1: in uh, militia while it happened. That's really the only like they didn't have a presence there beforehand. They don't really take an active interest in anything else that's going on. They just did it so that they could stir up some shit in the militia chat, cause a lot of confusion with newer players, which they have, and you know, I'm sure is just as amusing, if not more, for them than it is for the rest of us to watch.
2: I mean, it's been a long time downside of the militia that you can't pick your quote unquote allies, and that. Um, there's there's a lot of conflicts like this. I've seen so many malicious civil wars that have happened on, at this point, all sides. Um, and I don't know how that would be best addressed because um, there are legitimate reasons why you might want to deck a group, uh, like if they're a Sino-Alt for an enemy group or something, or if they're, uh, an enemy group is placing down structures in your militia. But... Um, it, it's re- It's a hard thing to address. Um, but a downside of the militia has always been that you you can't pick your quote-unquote allies.
1: The primary issue for this war continuing and why it's extended so much is largely the doctrine choice. We touched on paladins at the top of the show. The mass Varger fleet that they've been using in sec has been extremely challenging for us to deal with. That's where a lot of the... Uh, the value has been generated these high sec brawls on their war headquarter.
2: So yeah, the part about high sec that makes it difficult is the specific mechanics surrounding how high secology Logi works. Um, if we have, we have multiple groups within this war deck on our side where there's noir, there's EM, there's uh, a Um And in, if we wanted to field Logi, we couldn't rep between the alliances without getting concorded during the fight. So every individual group would have to field their own Lodgy wing enough to hold against the Barkers, and that just takes away a lot of our DPS. Um, and it, it's not really viable, right? Um,
1: yeah, and their, uh, their high-sec war headquarter has, I think, five ECMs and yeah. a loot fit. So that just also extends the number of logistics you'd have to have in your fleet. Makes it pretty much. I mean, I'm, I think Net and Electus could field the number of Lodge we would needed, but then we wouldn't really be able to field much of anything else, and yeah. the other, uh, corps and alliances, just size wise, couldn't do it even if they put all their pilots into it.
2: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, Em and and Net are the only groups that are big enough to field a Logi contingent, and that that, on in both cases, uh. Does vastly diminish our ability to deal damage, and the other groups they they can't do anything; <laughs> they would just be uh, targets.
1: So the overall effect of that has been, and, and particularly with their choice of essentially vargarless logi, or excuse me, logiless vargars, where they, in the first instance, had local tanks; they had their uh, a shield booster fit, and in the second instance, they went with a pure hit point tank fit that was much cheaper have b- led both sides to a very bloody strategy of just trying to out-damage and out-attrition each other, uh, which is partly responsible for these staggering loss counts. Uh, normally, you would not see that level of is destroyed in fights because you would have Logi and you'd have people disengaging when their Logi breaks. That's not happening. It's us trying to trade a Varger for a handful of battleships over and over again until one side loses the critical mass that they need which unfortunately has been us more often than not. Uh, there's also been some low-sec fighting. They have reinforced a Horngree-owned, that's the basically the support Astra Houses that the Glenty Militia relies on for defense. They've systematically reinforced one just about every day, maybe every other day for the past couple of weeks, most of which have been defended. This past one did not... Um, those defense fights have been a mix. Uh, I would say mostly feeds on our side because of people kind of trickling in on the initial attack and losing their ships that way. We've had, I think three actual fights on the defense timers. They won one, then we won one and then they won this most recent one. Um, yeah, it's been a, been pretty back and forth uh, definitely with net and the rest of the Glunty militia on the losing side but we have been showing steady improvement each time uh, we've had a I would I would say like the vast majority of our fleets have not like the pilots and them just have not been in these scenarios or these circumstances where didn't always react fit behave etc the way you would expect say a more seasoned pilot or someone in null to do but they're and getting it, the hang of it, and our logistics around it are getting better. The FCing is getting better. People are following FC calls better. It's definitely a lot better now than it was two or three weeks ago.
2: And that's kind of the um, the upside of the whole thing, where um, you get a lot of exper- People get a lot of experience in uh, situations they haven't been in, and you could keep morale up and come out of this stronger than than you were before, regardless of the eventual outcome.
0: I think that's true. I mean, they are a grindstone right now. And uh, the, US, the EU time zone has been very much a bystander because all the fights seem to be happening in US TZ. But I, I think just in the way that we're building our tactics to go ahead against this, and just from reading some of the after action and stuff, I, I think it's, Alex's point is valid, that there aren't as... Uh, Perhaps in Noir, you know, we're very used to this. We're completely combat-focused. We're not, you know, we'd we'd be able to get into ships easily and the commands and our channel tactic is there. It's been a bit of a learning experience, but I agree. I think that at the end of this, we will come out stronger. And I think it already shows because the very start of this, Tissue were known for being pretty toxic and they were pretty kind of loud mouthy and local and whatnot. They have shut up now, um they don't seem to be doing as much we still got we still have kind of like weird kind of like discord kind of stuff and various things there and there, but on the whole, they very much uh, they seem to have less spontaneous kind of logging in right now. they seem to be logging in for the bigger fights right now,
1: yeah, I don't know if they're getting burned out or bored or what um they are still quite active on the back end. there's been some in real life electronic warfare, let's put it that way um. Just the other day, they tried to dox. Well, I guess they didn't try. They did uh, dox Ashtarathi on the EVE Online Discord, which ISD had to get involved with. So they're still active on that front. Um, yeah, It's one of those things where we're. I think we got closer to breaking them the previous headquarter fight than they might have been willing to admit. And if we had played the second half of the fight a little differently, I think ISK-wise, we would have come out way ahead.
2: You know, I think at one of these the options, times, it's going to work. I think there is a way to take the objective. I, I don't think there is a way to take the score last time. I no, think no if we not played at this point. Right, we could have taken the objective, though, because it was so low armor, and the holy ghost so fast on those.
1: Yeah, and I, I think overall for the war, winning the score is pretty much out of the question at this point. But uh, winning the objective and the overall objective of improving our ability to fight as a coherent unit is still very much on the table.
0: Well, the only way to kind of beat 30 Vargas is to bring 40 Vargas. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it literally is that silly, you know, 30 Vargas do something like, you know, 70, 75k uh, K damage, you know. And just for anyone who's not used to the numbers or can't, doesn't have an eye, I kind can't of eye of what they're doing. They had quad LSC double multi-spec Vargas with General Rigs, these things had nearly 300,000 hit points, unheated, unlinked, unimplanted. And worst case scenario, they could break 600K with Nirvana's links and everything else. That's the site. That's how big each brick wall was. When yeah. uh, it comes down to those fleet fights itself, you're thinking, well, hang on, they've got 70k DPS, they can rip through a T1 battleship in seconds, and you look at your fleet, you might say, like, like you know, 20 battleships itself doing, let's say, 20,000 DPS, for example, and you might look and think, hold on, it's going to take us 15 seconds to break a Vaga, and in that time, they've eaten up how many battleships?
2: And don't forget that they're uh, resistant to Ebor, too. Like, Marauder's their main problem is that they have everything. They have every single thing they need. Like, um, there, there is not a downside.
1: It's not even a fuel for that module, unlike the Dreadnought no. version, which is a little weird.
3: Or cap. You can't cap these guys out. Yeah. yeah. And the final factor, of course, is being high sec.
0: There are some mechanics not available to you to come to with.
2: You can't, yeah, you can't push them.
0: Yeah. If that, if that stuff dropped in, like, you know, in low sec within range of anyone with Dreads, um, you'd be seeing Dreads.
1: Yeah it's like you said, just not available. So we have spent considerable amount of time trying to crack the code there to figure out what we can do with the skill points that we have to break those Vargas and see if we can come up with a counter fleet. And it has been a very interesting exercise that I don't know, I think has really motivated the NAR half of this equation, just to like try to figure it all out. Leva, I know you've done a ton on theory crafting and so have a lot of other people trying to rack our brains with how we can solve this puzzle. But it's been one of the more interesting things we've had to deal with in a while because usually we don't run into this level of challenge
0: Well I've, I've uh, it's it been an interesting that's it's generally been my sole input on this is like theory crafting and kind of number crunching stuff for the notable fights that happen when I'm asleep
1: well, I'm sure it won't be the last one either.
0: Nope, we have another one coming up later, if I recall.
1: Yeah, we have a low-sec defense tonight as we record this. Hopefully that goes well. And yeah, I'm sure we'll have quite a few timers over the course of the next week or two. It doesn't seem like this fight is going anywhere. We have no plans on giving up, and they are getting pretty generous ISK wins every time they fight us. So I think they're quite incentivized to continue, and we'll see how things play out. Speaking of seeing how things play out, the Shipcaster event is about to go down for Factional Warfare. This is what the transmuter arrays apparently have been building to. There's going to be some kind of mechanic to take pilots from one fixed area and shoot them somewhere into the Faction Warfare war zones. And all the various Faction Warfare sides are going to have this mechanism in their headquarters. Uh, I presume there'll be some kind of rolling rollout depending on how the event goes. Arcia, is there anything that you could tell us about this or perhaps pull in from different news sources that have been released that our audience might not be familiar with?
2: So um, obviously I can't talk about stuff that hasn't been talked about by CCP themselves, but um, what, what we do know is that um, the, Previous, the pre-uprising factional campaigns, uh, the results of those play a part in what's happening now in that the um, the Amar and the Minmatar and the Kaldari finish their factional campaigns. Um, so like the Amar and the Minmatar have uh, one of the technologies from finishing their factional campaigns and the Kaldari have the one from theirs. But all the empires, they they, they want everything, right? So there's there's um, now encouragement from the empires lore-wise to uh, do some reconnaissance <laughs> on uh, the factions that have the tech that they don't have, right? Um, and without saying too much about the specifics of it, because only a certain amount is known, uh, it is going to be an interesting uh, diplomatic conflict between the empires, uh, in a way that perhaps hasn't been seen before, I think.
0: I know Hobo Leaks released um, a data dump, I think, about a week ago itself, which kind of gave a bit of insight into what's going to happen here.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Hobo Leaks is always uh, a good good source of insight. I'm, I'm a little uh, conservative about talking too much about it, but um, I do think it is uh, the Galente militia having not finish their their um we've got, we've, we've,
0: we've got more to do if we, wanna, and you, if you we want to in, yeah. if we want in we were in this party we have more to do
2: yeah basically you have uh you have two texts this deal as opposed to one right
0: well
1: luckily we don't really have far to go for our front lines so i don't think the lack of them it's going to hurt us that much but it's, i think it's, it's also we that we really don't from. know what it is it's do, we, we, do, do we need to know? It from
0: well it's going to be the other, the other factions that have completed that but bar- there's there's two there's two bits of tech um and the clans have none of it so we can steal from two sources or and probably two or more factions
2: so, like, and these yeah. factions
0: may not be enemies
2: yeah you can you can poke them in Matara if you want
1: That's
0: i what mean I'm in terms that, of just, what's just the... really, that that was on hobo just to be absolutely clear in terms yeah, of what yeah.
1: we're all fighting for though is this going to be a element, a jump gate? What mechanic is this? What mechanic comparison could we give people so they can understand what's at stake here? Is it a wormhole of sorts? I,
2: I'm not saying too much.
1: Yeah,
0: so yeah. I, 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 I was just I, going to say I, that sounds very much NDA. <laughs> well, you're
1: yeah, not under
3: NDA, Laves, here. Yeah, think? we we can I, talk about it. I, yeah, I mean, we'll, when I read it, it was uh, it felt like. Some sort of static filament, where, like, you know, some sort of object, something in space, where you could you could walk to it, and um, somebody could set it to go somewhere, and then you know, x amount of ships could go through, um, and perhaps there would be cooldowns and fatigue or something like that, or, or limits on or what you could send. But to me, it just felt like like an object in space that would exist that you could warp to and some, I don't know who would control it, you know, but, um, it felt like perhaps, you know, I suppose in faction warfare, you've got like, you've got ranks and things of new, I don't know, but, um, yeah, that, that's what it felt like to me. And I imagine that, uh, perhaps, you know, there would be like limits on how often, how many times the thing could be used in a 24 hour period or in a seven day period or something like that. And perhaps limits on how many ships could be sent. And maybe the size of those ships. Maybe they would be. Um, I, I doubt mass would come into it, but perhaps more like or, or fuel. But perhaps more like numbers. Like you know, say uh, up to fifty ships or something, um, and no, no bigger than than. Uh, perhaps, perhaps you couldn't send more orders or something.
0: Mm, I'll just, I mean, it, there's a couple of ways they could play this. It could be something that's targeted on specific types of system or even content it might just say look it's it's going to lock onto a battlefield here it's going to put you somewhere in the system so it's a way of getting fleets to a battlefield but then you'd need to do something to battlefields to make them more appealing for fleet fights because as we mentioned earlier it's it's a little bit stale right now i mean it's better than previous but it's it's a little bit stale alternatively it could just be as as you say just something that kind of opens up and i I don't think it would necessarily be transactional as such. I mean, the shipcaster idea kind of it might just be a case of you know, for the next five minutes, it's going to open up a, in this window. It's going to open up a portal to say Valeria. Say right off to Val, and you want to, you want you want to catch this bus? Go through. Uh, whether there's some kind of trade mechanic or some kind of cost, I suspect there will be. You know, some kind of cost to use it. Perhaps even an LP cost.
2: I will say um, this whole uh, storyline is super interesting in how it ties back to player uh, player actions, not just in the pre uprising campaigns, but um, uh, all the way back during the invasions uh, in 2020, right? Um, because on the Amar Minmatar side, the, the fighting was over stellar transmuters uh, that the Amar placed down in Vard, Egmar and Turner. And um the reason why the Amar had the stellar transmuter attack was during the invasions. Uh the only system that the Triglavians won the first stage of that was pushed all the way back to an Edencom system was a an Amar system called Arshat, And um, an international group of, of players, international in the sense of it was our peers from various nations, uh Secured the stellar transmuter tech on the Edencom side in a system that happened to be Amar. And then the Amar weaponized it against the Minmatar, much to the chagrin of the Minmatar players who fought against the <laughs> um, leading to the factional warfare event uh, where the Minmatar captured the transmuters and in Fard and Egmar. And then the Amar blew up Turner, basically, because the transmuter backfired. Um, and with the Kaldari Galente side, a lot of a lot of the the backstory has to do with the Edencom uh stuff going on on the planet in Athenon. Um and was surrounding the system of Athenon. Uh the Kaldari being hit notoriously hard during the invasions by uh, so many systems followed the like Triglavians, like the majority are Kaldari. Right. Um it it's just really interesting that. Everything seems to really flow into the the next part of the story really well to me, um, and I I think it really, from my perspective, makes the things I do in game feel uh, all the more important.
3: I remember saying about nine months ago on the podcast about um, he felt like it was turning into like a legacy game, like like legacy board games yeah. how they work. And yeah, from what I see is saying there and and from what I've seen and sort of listened to people talk about and read the, you know, the imperial age, books and things like that. um, It does feel a bit like that where, you know, things that happen have consequences. They have, the the board is changed permanently um, because of things that, that people did. And uh, it's really good.
1: Speaking of things that are less good uh sedition which is the largest and most active alliance in the galanti militia is making plans to exit they've talked about this fairly publicly at this point we i don't know how publicly they've talked about where they're going or what they're doing so i won't speculate too much on that but i do want to give our audience the heads up this is a thing that is happening uh, they've been they retook the system of oiks and i think they are now letting it fall once again It's gone already. It's gone already,
0: yeah. Valyria, which is their current stage, is now 70.2% to Kaldari. That system's going to go in the next few days at the current rate.
1: Yeah, which will be interesting. Uh, They've kind of been a tentpole of that section of the war zone ever since we've joined it. Uh, I don't really see that region holding without them, which means most of the Galenti-Kaldari fighting is now going to center on essence and maybe some parts of... uh, like shallow placid around Marathan, but yeah, that's gonna be interesting. Um, it's a big, big win for Kaldari because it's really just uh, network but, but, FPD, the whole, a handful of the whole of east front routes. is going
0: to essentially fall. Um, is unless someone else really steps into that, it's. I don't see that pocket kind of maintaining anything. Valeria, Valeria and, and Haderly's are kind of the two main choke points for those side of things. And with Valeria's going to go, that will basically open up that entire pocket. Um, Haderly's, which is the other stage, is a bit of an interesting one because Hadleys can never be not frontline because it's it, is, it exists next to HiSEC, which guarantees that it will be frontline all the time. At least I think that's how it works.
1: Yeah, it should, yeah.
2: Yeah, because if it didn't work like that, you could have a situation where there's no front line.
0: Yeah, so Fle- uh, so I mean, um, Flie, which is next to this, also connects to Sec. So, Haydalese uh, and Flie will be kind of at the main bastions for the Southern push, summer push, assuming that the current kind of Vanguard systems, which are Inasikan and Nagaman, fall. And Inasikan's at 90% um, and has been kind of losing about 5% every day or so. So, that could go any day now. And Nagaman has been really heavily pushed as well. So, the push is coming, Is the fight is quite literally coming to our doorstep.
1: Yep, yeah. Uh, you know, sucks. It'd be good to go on offense, but uh can't really do that under these conditions. I think trying to defend Waynesek and Agamanim will be a top priority for us just so we can keep Hadley as a back line. But even if they fall, it doesn't actually increase the number of frontline systems. They both just have one connection our way, Abuni and Devon.
0: Yeah, and that somehow make one. Well given our, obviously we have our stage down and that's down around Hadley's itself. It makes it easy for us to get into the fight. Yep. It'd
1: be be interesting. The other faction warfare news, the battle of Alga has been popping up onto Reddit quite a bit. This is i I'm getting a sense. It's like the meat grinder system for Amar and Mimitar and they've been shredding each other.
2: Yeah. Alga has uh, starting in the end of January in all the way into February has shot up uh, to, as you said, a meat grinder system. I think there were like 240 people in local yesterday. Um, wow. uh, in in January, um, AGA had about 300 billion uh, of ships destroyed. So far in February, it's about 400 billion in ships destroyed. Uh, in December, it was 32, by the way. So uh, that, that just shows uh, how much the activity has increased in, in that specific I think it's about 40 42% right now um uh, Minmitar, holding it well uh, when uprising first came out a lot of the fighting in that area was in in Kormonin and in um, and the minmatar were using aga as um, as kind of a staging a lot of a lot of uh chip like fleets were coming up from Aga to go to battlegrounds and such. Um so it, it's been a front line the whole time, but a lot of the fighting was in in Cormon and Camela. Uh, the Minmatar and Amar war zone um has been a lot more static than the Galente and uh Kaldari one since the uprising. Um there's been there's been heavy fighting in a few systems like Aga Aga now, um floss this win before Camela and Cormonin um when that uprising started VARD is, is heating up again. Um, but, uh, I, I it's just a concerted effort of let, let's hit this frontline system, um, has just kind of kicked off a, a fight when the other side says no. <laughs> right. So, uh, they're both sides are putting their money where their mouth is. And, um, it's, what is it? Uh, a a thousand times uh increase in a month and then february is even bigger and it's not even over
0: so what we're saying from that is that if you want a lot of target rich environments and you want lots of squids to show join Galente militia because mm-hmm. we are so badly outnumbered in terms of that like literally the numbers they put on in time zones are, are a bit a, a, just insane at times but um you know it, I think if anything else this just shows the kind of the success of the update isn't it how much activity is being concentrated in these systems and I know it's been talked about previously about the fact that you know the current content if you like excludes T2 ships fact like pirate ships for example for better or for worse for some that, that is decide. one of the
2: the biggest complaints I've seen um that there's the amount of advanced plexes is too small percentage wise um
0: yeah
2: because people do want to able to use their pirate and T2 ships in some places. Um, people like the idea of the Navy and Advanced Plex uh, split, I think, but I think the percentage is off, maybe.
1: We're going back class, like I, I wouldn't mind seeing hacks as an option inside battlefields.
2: I kind of like the fact that battlefields don't allow T2 cruisers, because I like the fights without T2 logic.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I do... I would agree wholeheartedly with that. I think when you get Guardian Balls and, and just, it, it becomes unbreakable at times where, and with Tita resistances, whereas the fights and battlefields are bloody. I mean, it's very much range is the dominant meta. Unless one side gets in and just kind of crowds around, the enemy's kind of warping point with lots of blasters and, and close Prophecy, range ships.
2: Prophecies and cyclones is what, what I've seen.
0: Yeah, Did Drake's... Uh, Shrakes, Caracal, Caracal navies are pretty popular from any side. I know Sedition were pretty um, keen on their Cyclone fleet issues as well.
2: Yeah, I've seen the Cyclone fleet issues versus the Prophecies, but that might just be the two sides uh, liking their own ships.
1: What is the faction warfare fighting dynamic like when there's hundreds on each side? So, most faction warfare, you're lucky if you see 10 to 15 people in one place at the same time.
2: So, it's kind of similar to uh, prior, uh, like pre uprising. Um, I haven't seen it as much. So, I, I think the meta is still kind of shaking out in how you approach splitting between plexes with the in- increased amount of plexes. Obviously um, there's a lot more emphasis on larger plexes than smaller plexes since Uprising um, because pre-Uprising if you won the small and the novice uh, and the other and the other side won the medium and, and the open the, the side winning the small and the novice w- was just winning clearly um, because all the plexes gave the same amount of BP. But now Uh, you really have to prioritize the bigger ones because you get more VP per per, uh, plex per time from the larger ones. Um, And some people think it should still be more in favor of the larger ones. But um, winning the larger plexes has a bigger impact than winning the smaller ones. But you have so many more plexes in general that I feel like you have to smartly uh, split your forces to some degree. But not enough that they can come in and overwhelm you in the, in the, in the big plex. But, um, I think the meta is still kind of shaking up because there hasn't been a lot of traditional sieges since uprising. And this is one of the first Mm. ones that's going, uh, the way it's going. All
1: right. And our final story, we're not going to touch on it too much here. We just wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening in Nelsec. Fire is relocating to Volta space. That process is pretty much done now. Uh, this had a... I don't know if it's entirely unforeseen consequence, but um, PanFam is now being drawn deeper into the Winterco side of things with one of their special interest groups, aka SIGs, being explicitly paid by Fraternity to be a regular appearance there. It's not the entire alliance, but it is a significant group. It's going to cause... Brave and co. a lot of problems. We will see if Fire is worth it. Uh, I think at the end of the day, this isn't a huge pivot for Horde. They're already shooting Brave and Volta and co. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what this increased commitment from them actually winds up doing. And if Fire is able to contribute enough numbers to counterbalance that. And I think what we're all looking for is is this going to enable them to go on offense against fraternity, and rather than just playing defense perpetually? Probably not, but this entire situation has already started to surprise us a little bit. So you never know. And the other element of this is what is happening in the space that fire used to occupy. The maps are currently being redrawn down there with several lesser or completely unknown alliances taking some of that space. We don't know when that process is going to finish shaking out, but we'll probably take a closer look at it in the next episode.
3: Yeah, I think in the last quarter of the year last year you had a Panfam Sig, you know, doing the, something similar anyway. Um, and it sounds like, you know, they probably weren't being paid to do that. Maybe they were, who knows. But um, I think one of the differences there though was that Panfam Sig when when messing about in in um, Pure blind, wasn't explicitly trying to evict brave or wasn't explicitly trying to you know cause um everlasting damage there it was just just really there just for content so it'd be interesting to see now like what difference this makes to, to how far they're willing to go i mean last time they they destroyed all the jump bridges and they hit a few smaller structures and killed a few smaller structures um you know they, they could have done more if, if they wanted to um because you know that sig is is a relentless group um it's only a SIG, but it's, it's as big as some alliances uh, in terms of what it can field. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think uh, pan, um, Fraternity, they're trying to cover the, the gaps in time zone. And I have no idea what's going on down the south, if I'm being completely honest. Um, <laughs> no I don't think
1: anybody that. does right now. I don't. Uh, don't I don't think right uh, Host highlights, slave.
0: Um, I think my highlight, as mentioned has been kind of lots of kind of uh, back end work theorycrafting. this is the this is the spreadsheet deep kind of level of eve itself the kind of the joke that people that non eve that non players sometimes tell of us that we' basically spreadsheets in space. Some of us uh, we do this quite a lot um it helps us both in the tournament scene because when you when you're min maxing setups and you're trying to create the best setups for that there's a huge amount of theorycraft that goes into that. And also when it comes down to fights, which you know are gonna happen, there's there's no substitute for planning on this. Um, and planning out the right tactics, the right fits can be the difference between victory and defeat. So that has been my very exciting, very in-depth um highlight of the week.
1: Yep, my highlight very related, just getting to FC some of these big fights. I think uh, skipping a little bit ahead to shout outs, both lave and I. I want to thank the logistics team on Horngree in particular, Nick's um Nick, Shawnee, Rally, Johnny, like thank you so much for all the work that you guys have done moving ships around so we have enough ships for that many people and we can get reships going and it's given us some interesting options to work with. Cheers to those guys. Zero, what about yourself?
3: Yeah, for me it's just again, I mention it a lot, but it's just the ability to um participate in the tournament scene and participate in tournament practice specifically for for Noir and just how much effort goes into that. It's just great to be involved in that and to just be able to turn up, you know, twice a week, uh, once a week, if if it clashes with um, Decorations of War uh, and just, you know, get reliable, good fights um, where, you know, people can critique and I I record them and, you know, watch them back and things. It's just some of the best um, EVE content I I get to participate in. So I'm just pleased to be continuing to do that. Arcee?
2: Um, going a little more than two weeks over, I really appreciated the CSM Summit um, that I was able to take part in. I think it was more productive than I initially expected going into it. I am cautiously optimistic about the future of our game, and I am honored to try to play a part in making it uh, a little better for all of us and to talk and interacting with the entire community. Um, with my role. Uh I yeah, that, that's that's my highlight in the lot la- in the last recent couple of weeks.
1: I also want to thank take the time to thank our golden elite subscribers, Bodie Wilson, Fata Trades, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, and Tweek. Thank you guys for your continued support rolling into 2023. And a reminder, we do have a Patreon, Patreon.com slash DOW.
3: Check it
1: out. Uh, Zero, what is your shout out?
3: So again, uh Akbad and, and and uh the Tournament team community. So Akbad for his, you know, captaining of the team and um, I know I know Rob's been organizing a lot of our practices in fairness, but you know, Akbad's just been consistently doing the the team stuff now for so long. And and the tournament community, you know, I, I listened to um recent episode of Talking Stations, and, you know, there was an episode dedicated to that sort of, that amateur, should we call it, I don't know, the tournament community, the player-based tournament community then. Um, The people that organize stuff in between Alliance tournaments and sometimes also do commentary and and other back-end stuff during the Alliance tournaments as well. And I know, Alec, you've you've been involved with some of these people. Um, Just looking back, you know, they've been doing this, these people have been doing this for a number of years and just keep going at it. You know, if I bring up an old um, Alliance tournament um, match on YouTube because I'm doing a bit of recon, I hear the same voices. I, I, You know, if I look back at things, I see the same names crop up all the time. And, you know, these people are very dedicated to what they do. And I think, you know, for me personally, it's, it's a huge part of what keeps me playing the game is is the tournament scene. So I just want to shout out to everybody involved in that.
1: Brilliant. Marcia?
2: Shout out. Let's see. I'm going to shout out... There's a lot of people I could shout out. I'm going to shout out my um, fellow CSM, Mark Resurrectus. Uh, The two of us are fighting the Null Nullseckers together. That's more of a joke than anything else. But um, uh, he's very personal. And uh, I might be flying with him uh, to do something coming up sometime soon. So... He's a, he's a cool guy.
1: CSM civil war confirmed?
2: There is no CSM civil war. The CSM, honestly, despite uh, some differences from just differences of opinions, we get along, uh, honestly, surprisingly well. Um, there, there are debates. There are differences of opinions. But I feel like when we talk with each other about the things we differ on. It's usually constructive and it's very rarely anything resembling a civil war, which is, which is a breath of fresh air.
1: It's nice to hear. And yeah, uh, once again, leave and I shout outs to the hungry Logicos. Uh, we are running a little late in the ups. So we're going to wrap it up here. Much more to come in the next episode. Guys, head to com to participate in this show's poll. YouTube.com slash C slash AlexaFK to leave a comment on our show highlights. Check out our 250th episode, live and undocked. It's actually a, a YouTube stream. Uh, you guys can check out all the uh, cool fights that we got into. And uh, yeah, we're looking for some good people. If you want to have the absolute best number of, or excuse me, the best ratio of friendlies to hostiles in the game right now, Come join Galenti Militia. Noir is recruiting. Um, we are also recruiting our academy as well. So if you feel like you need a little bit more PvP experience, time to develop, you want to test things out, get to know our corp a little bit. The academy is open for recruitment. So come hang out with us. Uh, you can chillax in game. You'll find a link to our Discord there. You'll also find a link to the Discord on the Declarations of War site, declarationsofwar.com. And either way you find us, whether in-game or out, we are happy to answer all of your questions. Wherever you are and whoever you're flying with, good hunting, listeners.